0: All right, that was, uh, that was amazing, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. Um, well, good morning. Good to see you here today. Um, uh, I am thankful to be able to open God's Word with you today. And uh, before we get started, uh, I'd like to take a moment just to pray for Dan. Uh, Dan is in Guatemala, and uh, I just told him we'd stop and pray for him. And he gave me a few things to pray for. So uh, we, uh, I think anytime our pastor goes and serves, I think it, it bids us well to to pray for him because he's an extension of our church. So let's pray for Dan. Father, we we pause right now and we lift up our pastor as he is serving you in Guatemala. Father, we pray you'd uh, just anoint him. I pray as he meets with the pastors and wives. Uh, uh, I pray as he meets with individual pastors, I pray as he has today's evangelistic Christmas service and tomorrow's seminar for businessmen, I just pray that your spirit would pour out upon Dan and that you would uh, fill him with your spirit, you would anoint him, that he would just be yoked with you, and that uh, you would open hearts and lives of people that would... uh, just really uh, be touched by you, that they would go back into their businesses, back into their churches, back into their homes and communities, and that Guatemala would uh, truly experience revival and renewal. And uh, so, Lord, we, we lift him up and ask you to do just a, a an anointing. Put, as I was praying earlier, just put wind in his sails, Lord, from your spirit and drive him along. Uh, and we ask this as your, as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's uh, two weeks to Christmas. You got your Christmas shopping done? Uh, you know, Gene and I went out and did that yesterday. And uh, just, uh, man, malls are packed and everything, people rushing around everything. But two weeks, two weeks to Christmas. Can't believe that because it's the miracle of an incredible birth. Now, this is a kind of a cool Christmas for me because my second grandchild is due to be born in two weeks. Actually, two weeks and two days, and uh, and so uh, we're we're kind of uh, kind of getting around that whole idea. And if uh, if Rebecca calls or and, and and says baby is on the way, Gene and I have a sign. She's going to stand up and scream, "Baby's on the way, Daniel! Uh, Daniel, you're up!" So kind of be thinking. So uh, that's going to be our sign: the scream. Um, but uh, we, uh, we're very thankful to be our second grandchild. Got a third grandchild coming in March, a little princess. And uh, But there's something special about a birth of a child coming. But there's been no birth like the miracle, the miracle of the coming of Christ. Born of a virgin, living a sinless life, and dying as a spotless lamb of God. And if you have just thought that was a story, just a story, then I hope you'll revisit that in your heart. And the fact that he is the He is the King of Kings and He is the, the Lord of Lords. And he came to we got around that idea this morning in Catalyst and just kind of looked at that perspective. We celebrate the fact that not only that Jesus came into the world we as believers rejoice that he came into our world. Amen? He came into our world. And something I've read recently and made a lot of sense to me that uh, God pursued you. See, we were dead in our transgressions and dead people don't pursue anything. God came and he pursued you and he reached out to you in a miraculous way, made his way, made himself known to you. And uh, that's a, so he didn't just come into the world. He came into your world, to my world. And um, that's the what I want to get around today is the idea of the miracle that the Lord Jesus came into the world, but he grew up and he started invading other people's world. Individually, one at a time, sometimes in groups, the Lord Jesus, God incarnate, Began to invade people's lives. Um, and in fact, I am going to do uh, just uh, this is, the, I'm going I'm to rearrange the stage a little bit for a visual. See, I'm going I'm to come right over here because this is going to be the miracle circle. I'm just going to keep that. I, I think visually, I drive the college students crazy because I'm always making metaphor, metaphors. But uh, the idea here is this is the miracle circle, okay? Can you imagine a circle right here? Is the miracle circle. And the idea is the Lord Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, God was not created. He is part of the Trinity. But he, of his own accord, came to this earth. God sent him into the world but he sent he came and traveled here and into this circle but on the on the on, on the, at the same time there were people traveling this path that would inter- that God in his sovereignty would intersect people in this circle and he would invite them to change And make no mistake that I pray today that you will think about yourself stepping in, that you would step into this circle with the Lord Jesus and you would say, Lord, change me. Let's look at a definition of a miracle. I looked online and got a couple of definitions of some miracles. Uh, first of all, one one definition said a surprising and, and welcome event that is not explicable by natural and scientific or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be of divine a divine agency. So again, a miracle is where the divine intersects the human entity. And inside this circle, that's a miracle. Make sense? Divines traveling, human, humanity is traveling, and that's what we call a miracle. It's, a, it's an intersection. Another definition says a highly improbable or extraordinary event, development, or accompl- accomplishment that brings about welcome consequences. So a miracle is where divine intersects humanity. Jesus, why, in the synagogue of Nazareth, and he read from Isaiah a prophecy about himself. And if you have your Bible, you can turn over to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to read this particular translation from the New Living Translation... Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So, here's the Lord Jesus over here, and he's bringing what? He's bringing good news. Over here, coming from this angle, is the poor. So, the good news, Jesus anointed with the good news intersects the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. So, here comes the captives that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So we see that traveling down this path are the poor and the captive and the blind and the oppressed. And we say, isn't that good that Jesus intersected those people back in the first century? Let me tell you something. I have no doubt that this morning there are, Individuals here that are poor you say well I've got money but you may be totally bankrupt in emotion you may be bankrupt in your spirit you may be very poor in other ways or you may be poor financially I don't know you say proclaim captive to the captive that the captives would be released you say well isn't it Interesting that there were people back in the first century that Jesus came to that were captives. Maybe you're here and you're captive to something. You're captive to pornography. You're captive to depression. You're captive to just live in the same old way and you know God has something. that God wants to release you. Maybe you're oppressed and God wants to set you free. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. What happens in the circle when God and humanity get involved? Let me tell you what God can do. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we think or imagine... According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Let me tell you, when you step into this circle with God, when they stepped into that circle in the first century, when you and I step into this and we, get, we intentionally say, Lord, I want to step into this circle with you. And God, I want you to do something new. He will do more than you can think and more than you can imagine. But God will not make you step into this circle. But if you do step into this circle and enter in with the divine and say, God, here I am. Do a work in me. Do something new and fresh in me. Incredible things can happen. Um, I believe uh, four things take pl- need to take place for a miracle to happen. First, desire. You see, God had to have desire to step into this circle. If God didn't want to step in and be involved in humanity, you couldn't. You can't make divine do anything. And the beautiful thing, for God so loved the world that he acted. He chose to step into this world. He chose to step into the world of those in the first century. He chose, he choose, chooses to step into your world and my world. It takes desire on God's behalf, and he desires to be involved. For God, for God so loved the world, but he also desires that no man uh, should be lost. It says in Timothy that uh, he says that he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires to step into this circle and that you would become a child of God. If you do not know Christ, he desires to have that relationship with you. And if you are a child of God, he desires to change you. He desires to be involved in your life. He desires to make you into the image of Christ. He desires it. But the second thing, it takes not only desire, it also takes powers because, you know, the Lord Jesus could have had the desire to step into this circle, but did he have the power to do anything? Well, he proved in the first century he had the power to do a lot of things, didn't he? He has the power to change your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is anything in your life that God, that God can't change if he wants to? Sometimes I believe we get the thing, idea that he can't or that he doesn't want to. I'm telling you, he desires to conform you to the image of Jesus. He tells us that in Romans 8. And he has the power. He proved that at the resurrection. That's what Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So he has the, it t- miracles take desire. It takes power. But a third thing, it takes skills. Because, you know, um, he could have had the desire to change our lives. He could have had the power to change his life. But did he know what he was doing? Well, the God that made you is the one that can recreate you into something beautiful. He, can, he has the skill to interact in your life. He knows what your needs are. He knows where to deal with you. He knows how to deal with you. I love it over in Isaiah where he says, a smoldering flame he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break. He's a good shepherd. He knows your pace, but I'm here to tell you, he has the skill to change you. Do you believe that? But do you want that? Do you want God who desires to change you to use his power and skill to transform you? Will you be willing to step into the circle with the Lord this morning and say, God, I want you to change me. Whatever you got to do, change me. Well, the fourth thing, not only does it take desire and does it take power and does it take skill, there's a timing. Isn't that beautiful that the Lord is such a beautiful God of timing? Let's look at a couple of verses here. Uh, One is in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, Excuse me, Romans chapter 5 verse. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice the timing. In Galatians 4, it says, in verse 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There is a timing for God to work. And again, I keep coming back, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever would believe in him. Do you notice it starts with the world but it always comes to the individual. I like it when the, the when he was, Jesus was coming down off the Sermon on the Mount and he drew the, a large crowd's followed him but there was one leper that came up to him and wanted him to be involved in his life let me tell you something jesus never drew individuals to get a crowd he always gathered a crowd to get to an individual and you may say well i'm here with the crowd this morning let me tell you something the lord jesus christ sees you he saw he knows what woke you up last night he knows what you're worried about this Christmas. He knows what you, He knows everything about you, and he loves you, and he stands within this circle, and he's inviting you to come and say, I want to change you. I want to make you strong. I want to set you free. I want to make a difference. I, I want to I do a work in your life. You believe that? Well, that's what we're going to investigate today. In fact, I would like for us, I would like for us to look at four instances in Scripture where the Lord does incredible work. We're going to begin over in Matthew four. So, if you have your Bible turn over in Matthew chapter four, and it's a story that we know very well. Jesus was traveling down his path of divinity. And there were four men, Peter, Andrew, they were brothers. They, Peter was referred to as Simon. He was Simon Peter. Simon was his Jewish name, Peter his Greek name. There was Andrew, his brother. There was also two other brothers, James and John. They, had, they, were, dad, they were on their daddy's boat, Zebedee. It says in chapter 4, verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I love it when deity, the God that created you, says, I will make you. Isn't that incredible? What an invitation when deity says, I will make you. And that happens inside the circle. Inside this circle, the God that made you can remake you into something different. And it says, it "says I will make you fishers in me. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and, his, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets And he called them immediately, and they left the boat and their father and followed him. I think these guys had just, they'd been fishing, they'd been doing this so many days of their life, and they just thought it was just a regular day. You know, Simon and Andrew, and there's James and John down the lake just a little bit. They just thought it was a regular day, but then their lives intersected Christ I think if we could bring back those four today and say what did, what what did God do in that circle I think that they would tell you and I that God gave them an eternal purpose that they had been living for a very temporal purpose they had been living for just fishing and 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 getting a paycheck and taking that paycheck and they were they were focused and so many of us do that and those things are very important there's nothing wrong with the temporal pursuits but what Jesus did inside this circle he said I want you to trade in your temporal pursuits and I want to change you and give you eternal purpose and the question I have for you this morning do you have an eternal purpose When you get up in the morning, do you say, man, I got to go to work, I got to go to school, I got to go to my middle school, got to go to my university, got to go to my high school, got to go to my work, got to get the children up. All those are wonderful purposes, but those are temporal purposes. And what Jesus said... I want you to trump that temporal purpose with it. I want you to lay on top of that an eternal purpose, and I want that to be your driving force for the rest of your life. I want you to get, get up every morning with the idea that I, you live in a lost world, and if the people that do not know me will go to hell because they do not know the Lamb of God. Their sins have not been covered with the blood, my blood. I want you to get up for the rest of your life, instead of just fishing for fish, I want you to be fisher of men. Recently, I, I, I just had a time, I come to Jesus' time. I just gathered in one of my rooms, these rooms, and I just got on my knees, and I said, Lord, <laughs> there's a lot more back that way than this way, and I want to know what my life is about. And the Lord just through His Spirit reminded me, I want you to be fisher, a fisherman of men. I want you to be a disciple maker. I want you to have an eternal purpose. This morning, my I just ask you: Would you step into this circle this morning? And when you do, do you? How much of your time do you spend on the temporal versus the eternal in your thought life? Uh, I think God wants to give us an eternal, eternal purpose, and I had this thought too. Is your life to live or is your life to live for? Is your life to live, just to live, or is it to live for? I want my life to be about living for Jesus. That's what Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And I think one of the things that all these four guys, if they could speak to us today, is their life changed when they traded in and they got an eternal purpose. Let's go to a second second story. And this is the story at the woman on the well a woman at the well. Let's go to John chapter four. John chapter four. We see the woman at the well. We know she's a Samaritan woman. uh, Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile. They were looked down upon. We know, most of us know that. But this is a little bit longer story, but I want us to get the context. In John chapter 4, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than the, our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come to the, draw water and Jesus said to her go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one now that is your husband, what you have what you have what you have said is true. So mm-hmm. Jesus is traveling and now he travels to Samaritan. He's walking down his path. Here from the other direction comes this woman and they intersect in the area called Samaria. And now they both step into the circle and what's Jesus going to do for this woman? Well, I think this Samaritan woman had two buckets. One was a wooden bucket that she would put down in a well day after day, day after day. You know, I think that's a lot of bunch like us. We, we put our bucket down into the same well every day, every day, thinking that, that job or that circumstance will meet our ultimate need. Well, if I just keep going to work or if I just keep doing what I'm doing, I'm really going to be really happy in my life. I mean, if you are on that treadmill thinking that a job or a 401K or or anything in this life is going to be really ultimately meet your needs, then you're wrong. It's just a wooden bucket. Jesus offers you more. I think there was another bucket that she had, and that was her relational bucket, See, I think she had somewhere thought in her mind, if I just have the right relationship, she tried it with husband number one and husband number two and husband number three, four, and five, thinking if I just get the right relationship, then it will meet my need. She was wrong. And Jesus said, what you need is living water that only I can offer. And I believe if that woman were here today, she would tell all of us, that your ultimate needs can only be met in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Have you made that discovery? Is that what you're you're making your priority? Is finding what you need from Christ? Because if we make our job or our comfort or our popularity, if we make anything else, including relationships, where we get our thirst quenched, we will be thirsty again and again and again. Christ is saying, you really want to get your ultimate needs met? It's found in Jesus Christ. And would there be someone here that you've been just putting your bucket and you're going, why am I so stinking thirsty all the time? Why am I not satisfied? See, within you is a God shaped vacuum that only God can meet. And we know that as, no, as non-believers, when we became Christians, that that, that, quenched, that thirst was quenched. But you know what I'm saying? I think those wooden buckets, even as believers, are over here in the corner. And I believe as believers, sometimes we can make the foolish mistake of going and we leave the, the God bucket, the living water, and we go back over and we just pick up that old bucket and oh, go, oh, I remember that bucket. And we go, oh, I remember. And we start trying to get what our needs met through that again. And all of a sudden we start, let me ask you a question. What is your primary bucket? Is it Christ? Is that where you're really getting your needs met? That's the place where your thirst is truly going to be quenched. Let's look at a third story. Let's look at a third story. And this is the story. This is the story of Paul. I love this. In Acts chapter 9, let's go over to Acts chapter 9. We're talking about the miracles when the divine intersects humanity. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, at this point he saw, it says, but verse 1, but Saul, still breathing out murderers, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him letter, asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, I think kind of a cool wordplay, he, uh, he was part of the way, but he was, he was on his way. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. I believe Paul, as he walked down the road to Damascus, he looked very religious. I mean, I think as he was walking down his road... Those around him said, now, there goes a religious guy. That guy has his act together. Man, he was, he, he was religious. Everybody looked up to him. He'd been to the finest religious school, schools. But I'm here to tell you, I think if Paul were to talk to you and I today, he would say, religion is not enough. Rather, it is just a shell that something else has got to fill. I know this, because, and I know you know this too. I think religion is like a big balloon. I believe it's a big, weighty, heavy balloon. And for me, for 17 years, I would grab that religious balloon and I would throw it over my shoulder and I would come into brick and mortar and I would sing the doxology. I was christened. That's where I first got a little piece of balloon. I threw it over my little shoulder when I was christened. Went to vacation Bible schools and I learned to sing the doxology. I went through confirmation. Got a big chunk of balloon, got it over my shoulder. And I began to do all the things. And I kept, I, I really didn't particularly care for the balloon. In fact, when I was a teenager, I got so tired of it, my mom would pay me to be good in church. She would turn, she goes, if you, if you will be good, I will give you a nickel. I remember she told me that. Because this balloon was just, but when I met Jesus on my Damascus road. When I came and found in part, a big part of this church where I found I was a sinner in need of a savior and I invited Christ into my life and I entered into a relationship with him, you know what he did? He took out, all of a sudden, Jesus became the helium in my balloon. All of a sudden, I I remember coming, (laughs) because when I first came to Calvary, I had only a balloon draped over my shoulder. But when I came to Calvary, I heard about a Savior that wanted to be in my life. I went on a hiking trip with some college students. And I remember up at Spencer Spence Field, this guy turned to me and he goes, hey, Joe, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. And I go, what are you talking about? I mean, I go to church and I, I got my balloon. He goes, no, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. And it was shortly after that I went to East Knoxville and I went down by the river and I just sent it. and I told, Lord, I think I've, I've just had a balloon and it's been so burdensome. Would you come into my life and would you become my Lord and Savior and would you change me? I remember walking back into this. I remember my first Christmas. I remember my first Christmas. After being a believer, and I walked in and I began to see all the rituals that used to be such trappings. And I remember walking in going, So that's why we sing that. So that's why we do that. And when I took communion, and I go, That's why we do that. And the balloon was filled with helium and it was such a glorious thing. My question to you today do you have religion or a relationship? Because if all you've got is religion, you're just carrying a brown a burden. I think that's all that, I think that's what Saul had. And when he became Paul, look at verse, look at the next verse. Look at down in verse 9, nine uh, excuse me, 19. The latter part of verse 19, it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of god now he entered the synagogue which he'd been in thousands and thousands of times and what is the first thing he do does when he walks into the synagogue he doesn't talk about the law he talks about jesus and guys if you've really met the lord that is your helium and that's what you talk about and he brought this jesus into into the synagogue and he says let me tell you about Jesus because I want you to tell you about my relationship with him. Let me tell you how I encountered him in this circle of miracle, and he changed my life. Religion is not enough. Let's look at one last. Let's look at one last story. Take your Bible and turn over to Luke 7. In Luke 7, verse 36, it's a story about a woman in verse 36, a, she's a sinful woman. Verse 36 says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, we don't know, we don't know her name. She's mistakenly being referred to as Mary Magdalene. That is, we don't really see any evidence of that. We know she was a woman of the city. Was she a prostitute? Very likely she was because she was said she was a woman of the city, which is a, maybe a re- reference to that. She was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with, the, with her hair, with her, with her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And one of the things about this story is this is one of the few times this woman never says a word. It's all actions." And it says, "Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, "If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, and for she is a sinner." And Jesus answered and said to him Simon have something to say you, to you and he, he answered say it rap say it teacher and a certain money lender had two debtors one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 when they could not pay he canceled the debt of both now which of them loved more and Simon's answered I suppose from the one who canceled the larger debt and he said to him You have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave no water for my feet, but she has wet wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little, and she said, Your, And he said to her, "Your sins are forgiven." And those at the table with him began to say among themselves, "Who is this who even forgives sins?" And he said to the woman, "Your faith has saved you." go in peace. You know what my favorite You know what my favorite part of this whole story is the words up in verse 42. It says cancel the debt of both. And I want to tell you today that the greatest miracle is the fact that whether your sins are many or little Christ can cancel your sin he canceled your debt at the cross what a beautiful little little snippet there but the question i want to ask you today i think this woman if she were to come today she would say jesus can, can forgive your sins now my question to you is are you the pharisee or are you the woman Because the Pharisee sits on the outside of the circle and is very religious, but the Pharisee is not broken. The Pharisee looks at other people more than he looks at himself. But the woman in true repentance steps in and has an encounter with Jesus Christ and says, Lord, I can't even talk. I can't even speak to you. I can't even say anything out loud, but what I can do is I can worship you because you canceled my debt. I want to be the woman. I don't want to be the Pharisee. Which are you today? And I'll finish with this. How did Jesus send her out of the circle? He said, go in peace. God not only wants to forgive you, he wants to send you away in peace. And whatever you've done and what are you dealing, whatever weight you're whatever debt you're carrying, I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you that Christ wants to forgive you and he wants to give you peace. Would you, would you pray with me? We've talked this morning about miracles that can happen. And now we just used four examples of people that stepped into a divine miracle where divi- divinity and intersect humanity. Where are you at in your journey and what do you need to step into? Maybe it's the, one of the things we talked about or maybe it's something, maybe it's something we haven't talked about. the question i bring to you do you have an eternal purpose are you living for something more than something more than the temporary are you are you living are you living for are you living are you living for do you have an eternal purpose let me ask you about your bucket How are you getting your real needs met? Are you going back to buckets that you have made or or are are you going to Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm not going to get my needs met through my job or through my popularity. I'm going to really get my needs met only through you, not through relationships. I'm really going to get what I need from you. Maybe this morning you need to come to Christ and you need to throw down those other buckets. Maybe you're here today and, and you've just got an empty balloon. You, you've, you, you know how to do go through the motions. and The sad thing is I think even as Christians, sometimes we can deflate the balloon and we can just carry an empty because we're religious. But if we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're filled with Jesus, that religion takes on purpose. Maybe this morning you need to say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill that religion with your presence. But maybe you're here today and you have to ask the question, are you more like the Pharisee or are you more like the woman? Maybe this, when was the last time you kissed Jesus' feet? When was the last time that you didn't say anything but you just wept at his feet and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for canceling my debt. Thank you for taking somebody that the world hated and you loved me enough. Sometimes we just forget of all that was forgiven and all that what might not have been if Christ hadn't pursued us dead in our transgressions. Lord Jesus, we come to you, God. And you intersected our world at Christmas and was a baby, but you, as a baby, you grew up and you intersected the lives of real people that we read about this morning. But 2,000 years later, you want to intersect the lives of everybody in this room. And I don't know what their needs are, but you do. And I pray that every person here will be intentional about stepping into that circle and kissing your feet. Would you stand with me? I invite you during this time to worship Jesus. And I don't know what kissing his feet means to you, but I invite you. And if you're here today and you never, you're just carrying around religion, I invite you to come and pray today. And I would love to pray with you today to to become a true follower of Christ and to fill your life with his presence. Father, do a work. Do a work. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for intersecting our lives. Thank you for doing miracles today, not just 2,000 years ago, but doing them today. These altars are open if you'd like to come and pray and worship and just kiss on Jesus' feet.